Good morning. Welcome, Bereans. It's great to be here this morning as we continue our series, Selfless. And, and I'm excited to be a part of this series, More of Jesus and Less of Me. I just want to extend a, a welcome to those that are joining us online. Uh, we're glad you're here with us this morning. And, and I want to give a thank you. Uh, the Selfless Series, inspired by Craig Groeschel and Life Church, and we just thank them for their generosity in uh, giving those resources out for churches like us. Uh, we've been looking at the idea of selfishness. It touches all of us, doesn't it? Selfishness. Uh, it, just reading, I've, I've read a bunch of articles in just preparation for this morning. In uh, 2017, The Guardian Online uh, published a whole bunch of series of research studies that asked questions that led toward whether someone was a little more selfish or a little less selfish. And I just ask a question here this morning. Who likes to sit by the window seat of an airplane? Anybody? I love the window seat. Yeah, there's a bunch of people here this morning. Uh, the window seat. I enjoy seeing us take off and landing. I enjoy being able to look outside. Uh, the research said, though, that people that like the window seat tend toward selfishness. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, they looked at genders. They said men tend toward selfishness. Uh, maybe it's in our makeup where we, we're just hardwired to protect and to provide, and, that, and we want to take care of our family. They said women more hardwired to nurture, and so they would be more hardwired to help someone else versus to want to succeed themselves. Um, I don't know. Funny research, right? Uh, they, they went on to just cite a whole bunch of different articles. They said men that tend to work out tend toward more selfishness. And, and so if you're, a, and even go to church, like we're all here and we go to church, right? They said people who go to church tend toward more selfishness. I don't think they were looking at Berean. I think maybe some other churches where people went because they wanted people to see them go. Now, that's not why I'm here. I don't think that's why we're here. And, uh, and so, different things that tend towards selfishness. It's kind of funny. Um, so, if you're a young woman here and you're single, if you see a man who works out a lot, who, who goes to the gym, has big muscles, and uh, goes to church, and wants to sit by the window on an airplane, beware. <laughs> beware. Um, but women weren't left out of the article, and they cited the Daily Mail who gave a research report on, on women and the women's selfishness, and they said when chocolate cake came up, all bets were off. <laughs> the research is kind of funny. Who hasn't been selfish? Any of us made a, a selfish decision in the last couple of days? Maybe today. <laughs> Maybe every day. And uh, Harvard, a number of years ago, Harvard published that they believed Darwin discovered selfishness. And it was part of natural selection. And they said that it actually made us more successful. So if we, if we were more selfish, we'd become more successful. Now, the funny thing is, I look all the way back to Genesis 3. And I say, there were two people, Adam and Eve. And they decided God's way wasn't good enough. And they wanted to do it their way. And, and they began this process and cycle of selfishness, and we continue it. Each one of us continue it. And it's hard to believe, but as I raised my children, I never had to teach selfish lessons. 
Any of parents can relate to that? Do you ever have to teach your kids to have selfishness? I never had to sit down on the floor with my kids and, and pick up the toys with them and say, you know, I want you to sit there and I want you to play with this toy and I'm going to take it. And then I want you to scream at the top of your lungs and try and pull it back. I never had to have that conversation. We never had to teach that. Selfishness is built into us. And the culture around us right now, and just a number of articles that I read, accept it. They accept it as good, as beneficial, as what will lead us toward uh, success. Um, from economics to, to uh, relationships, they even claim in a number of recent articles that there's no true generosity. Generosity doesn't exist. It's just one person trying to look good in front of another person. It's just to get benefit for myself anyway. Just selfishness. Culture says, get what you can get. Indulge yourself. It's all about you. That's what our culture says. It's the me society, the iPhone, the I, the me, right? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, it's going to be less of you. It's, it's don't indulge yourself. In fact, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Following Jesus means less of me and more of Jesus. And as we look at that this morning, I remember back in week one, we looked at bold and witness. What does it take to be bold in your, our witness? We have to put aside some of our fears, don't we? A little less of us and a little more important to say, I want to give you the message that matters the most for your future. I value Jesus more than I value my fears. Bold or uh, uh, courageous in service. What does it take to be a servant? Less of me. Humility. It's got to be less of me and more of Jesus servant-heartedness. And then today we're going to talk about generosity. And in generosity, the idea of what I have and what I want tends to bring up this selfish attitude in myself. I know it does for me. It's no bigger place that that comes up in what I have and what I want to get. And, and so we're going to look at this again, less of me and more of Jesus. Um, key verse this morning. Some people are always greedy. You've never met anybody like that, have you? We've never exampled that, have we? It says some people are always greedy for more. The idea of craving more and more. You just never get enough. Never have enough. It says, but the godly love to give. There's two different perspectives there on what we have, our resources, are the things that we enjoy and have. Two totally different perspectives. And, and we understand it's natural to be selfish, to want more, but there's another option. And that is one who loves to give. And this isn't a give that says, I'm going to give and then I'm going to reel it back. Or this isn't a give, but, but then there comes a point where I'm just going to shut my generosity off. It's not a give that says, uh, that says, I want me first and then I'll give what's left over. This is a giving, hands open, without holding back. The godly love to give. Two different perspectives. And I just want to, as I begin this morning, just share my personal difficulty with this topic. Uh, I looked at the, the preaching schedule and I saw what... 
I was called on to speak on and I said, oh, <laughs> I've struggled with this one. My entire ministry, I've struggled with this one. Um, because I saw young and growing up and it was in that time period with a bunch of televangelists and, and fallen televangelists and mismanaged funds. And I watched people walk away from their faith because of these strong arm tactics to get funds for churches and ministries. I watched people abandon what they knew about God and, and about in their churches. And, and I, I've watched the health and wealth gospel where people tell you, give to my ministry and, and you're just going to be wealthy. And I think, well, why don't you just send the check to me and we'll, we'll take care of that. Um, I've watched those things. And coming to COVID, it didn't, it didn't change anything. A couple of years ago, when people shifted online, they went to their online platforms. I saw some churches very immediately. They put stuff on the internet. And the very first thing they said was, here's where to send your checks. <laughs> really? That's not what the gospel is. And so my personal, my personal struggle with this and I realize the tension here. Maybe in some of our experiences, you hear the word generosity, you hear the word give, and maybe for some of us, we tune out the message. And I just want to, at the beginning, I want to share that this is not a message that's a plea for money. It's not what this is. It's not an arbitrary prescription on what we have to do. It's not spiritual manipulation. My simple desire is that we together would embrace in a greater way a great God who is profoundly generous. He's given us so much, more than we could ever understand, and that we together would embrace him more, and that we would take a step of faith together. This is just simply another opportunity for a step of growth and a step of faith. And our giving is an area where we have the chance to example and to step forward in faith. My desire is we would do that together. Why is this topic important? As I look at Scripture and as I read each year, I see time and time again verses that bring up the concept of what we have, our resources, uh, what we use and how we use it, how we give, how we treat other people. Uh, some say there's, there's over 2,200 verses in the Bible that talk about resources, about giving, about how we use our finances. Apparently, it was important to God, enough to write in a lot of times. Some, some would say up to one-third of Jesus' teaching deals with how we use our resources. Apparently, it's important. It's very important. And, and Jesus said this. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And I, I take that statement and I say, then I need to look at where my treasure is. I need to look at where my priorities are. And I got to say, if, if my priority is in the physical things, then that reflects back to me where my heart is. And so it's an opportunity to look in a mirror and take a, an evaluation and say, here's where my heart is. And here's where God wants my heart to be. And let's take a step forward together. And it's an important topic some people are always greedy for more. They want more and more and more. They never have enough. But the godly love, the love to give. There's different mindsets about money. 
we're going to look at a couple of those mindsets this morning. And these are, these are just examples. There's probably a whole lot more detail we could get into. Here's three different ways that people tend to look at the resources. In Haggai 1.16, just to get into the context of this passage, the people of Israel in the days of Haggai, they had come back to the land of Israel. They had been exiled for a long time. They were back again. And one would think, We've been away from the land of God. We came back. Let's put God first, right? They didn't do that. They came back and they said, how are we going to provide for ourselves? So let's go, let's go plant our, our lands. Let's take care of our income. Let's take care of our produce. Let's get to take care of our needs. And they were putting themselves first and they were trusting in their resources and they weren't putting God first. Um, God wanted to see his temple rebuilt the prophets were telling them to rebuild the temple, and they, they didn't do that. And so Haggai writes to them, and he, he says, You have planted much, but harvest little. So you've done this to provide for yourself, but you're not getting enough. You eat, but you're not satisfied. It says you drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you're still cold. Well, this morning... I put on my clothes and I was still cold, but, but it was negative nine. <laughs> he says, you've done all this stuff to take care of yourself, right? And yet you don't have enough. Haggai goes on, he says, your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. You ever had, had pockets that had a hole in them? You go to put some change in and the change falls out. Uh, in their day, their day, they would have put their money in a bag, a purse. And, and so I'm, we're just calling this the bag mindset. But the idea was the money went in the bag and it went out. Or the idea is that the bills were there and the income came in and the income went out. Anyone relate to that? I can. Sometimes it feels like you earn, but as fast as you earn, the money goes away. And you just got to take care of the bills. And, and we can get focused in and stuck in that mindset. The idea of, I just don't have enough. I just don't have enough. And it feels like there's holes in the bag. I think a lot of Americans live like that. They're just trying to put more in the bag. They're trying to provide for themselves. They're trying to take care of their needs. And this is, a, this is a concept that influenced me greatly growing up. I had a great relationship with my grandparents. They went through the depression. And, and many of you have relationships with people that went through the depression. And they looked at life differently. Because there was a scarcity then. There wasn't enough. And so for the rest of my grandparents' lives... They, they looked at things of we have to save, we can't use it, we can't give it, we can't be generous because there might not be enough. Someday we might need this because there might not be enough. And, and I was influenced by that. They would say, say things like, uh, we'll just have to do without, money doesn't grow on trees. Anyone heard that uh, growing up? I've probably said it. Too many times, I wish I could do more, but um, I just don't have enough. just don't have enough. 
I was talking to my wife just a, a few days ago, and uh, we were talking about our first, one of our first apartments and moving, because we're, we're thinking about moving again. We'd like to. We want to be here. And, uh, and we, were, we were thinking back on that time period, and we, we, op- we opened a cupboard and found like 30 jars of, of spaghetti sauce that were empty and cleaned and sitting there. And see, I had the mentality of what's a good jar. It's a glass jar. I might need it someday. So I'm going to save that because someday I might not have enough glass jars. <laughs> I had 30 glass jars. I had too many glass jars. And, but it was that mindset of might not have enough. So I'm going to, I'm going to save. I'm going to protect. I'm going to keep. It's, it, I can't give. And, and so God had to challenge that and work through that. And, uh, in this mentality of protection. The problem is what that says is I'm trusting in my resources. I'm trusting in my provision. I'm trusting in my savings. And, and if that's where my trust is, or my trust is in the stock market and my, my investments and how they grow, good luck. My, my trust is in my bank account and the interest rate, good luck. Um, if that's where my trust is, I guarantee there will never be enough. Now, this mindset is not restricted just to those that are poor, and it includes those that are wealthy. Sometimes the the wealthy will say, I just don't have enough. How much is enough? Well, maybe just a little bit more. A very famous quote. All of us can get trapped there. The problem is, in the end, it says, there's never enough. Or maybe, God, I'm not quite sure that you're enough. I got to hesitate. I got to protect the bag mindset. See, Israel didn't have to live this way. In the time of Haggai, that's, that's where they ended up. And there wasn't enough. It just went out the holes in the bottom. The bills took it away. They didn't have to be there because God had promised in Deuteronomy 28 that if you obey me, if you put me first, God said, I will bless you. I'll bless your land. I'll bless your harvest. I'll bless your towns. I'll bless your communities. I'll bless your baskets. I'll bless, I'll bless your, your resources. And in the end, he speaks in that passage, wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed Put me first, obey my word, uh, exalt me, and you will be blessed. They didn't have to live here. God had promised them a different, a different option. Their story could have been different. Here's a different, a different concept. Luke, Luke chapter 6, and in this passage, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is uh, Jesus teaching, and he gives a different mindset on resources. In the context of this passage, Jesus is teaching about radical forgiveness. He teaches about love. And love not just for the people who love us, but love for our enemies, those who treat us poorly. He taught generosity in the way that gave and did not expect a return, even from our enemies. He he taught Uh, compassion. He taught our heart. Jesus said this. He said, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. 
put our example to grow and to learn to live out God's heart and that we would live it out and that we would be generous as God was generous to us. And so, and Jesus says this, he says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. And the idea there is a full measure. He goes on to say, press down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. And he ends that verse by saying, for the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So your gift will return to you in full measure. You'll, you'll receive, but God says, the way you give out is the way you'll receive back. What a challenge. What a different mindset. Not about putting, putting it in the bag and hoping I'm going to have enough, but in the idea of, of the full measure. And this was a harvesting mentality. So is the idea of, of having the basket, having the bushel, having the measure. And, and when, I look at, when I look at this passage, I think of a couple different aspects. If you're the worker, if you're the worker, uh, you're going to fill this up, and I think you'll fill it maybe mostly full. So it's not too heavy because you're going to have to carry it from the field to the barn when you harvest. You don't want it to be too heavy. You don't want to lose it. You don't want stuff to fall out. Then I look at it in a different perspective. If I'm the landowner and I'm going to my worker and I say, you know what? I want you to fill this basket. And, and however much you put in it, you're going to take that home and it's yours and it's your, my gift to you. And I'm going to be generous to you and I'm blessing you. How much do you put in the basket? Maybe different than what you're carrying to the barn. And I think what you do is exactly what this verse says. You fill it up, you push it in, right? Maybe you shake it together to get some more in, and you push it in some more. You fill it up some more, you push it in, you, you, you heap it up. You get as much in there as you possibly can so that it's running right over. And you just take that, that, uh, that concept, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy what my what my master has given me. And God is saying, that's what I want for you. But I want you to have that same generosity to other people. This is a little different mindset, the basket mindset. With the bag, there's never enough. There's always a hole it's going to come out of. But with the basket, there is enough. Why? Because the trust is in a different place. You see, with the bag, we trust in our own resources. And in the basket, we trust in God's resources. See, I can be generous because I know my master, my Lord, my Savior, he owns everything and, and he wants to bless as I'm willing to be generous. God's generosity. Think of that and, and I haven't I haven't harvested like that. I've never done that with wheat or barley or anything like that. But trying to put that in a, a, a contemporary context. Uh, anybody like coffee? Do we have coffee drinkers? Some coffee drinkers. I'm a coffee drinker. Anybody like frozen coffee? Me a couple. This is the wrong day for this. But if you I enjoy a, a, a frappe from McDonald's. 
And I have gone to McDonald's and I've gone and ordered that and the, the barista takes and, and, and makes it for me and I watch them do it and they bring me the cup back and it's not filled all the way. And, and there's air holes around the sides and I, I can see that and I watched them take the pitcher and dump out the extra in the garbage can and I think that's my frappe and you're throwing it away. And you didn't fill my cup. And you see, if I was to fill it up, I, I, would, have, I would have taken the cup I would have filled it. Then I would have banged it on the counter and got it all compact. I'd fill it some more. And then I'd put that little plastic lid on and I'd fill it up a little bit, little bit more. And then I'd take the, the whipped cream and I'd pour it on top and it'd be overflowing out the, the top of the like a volcano. Because if I'm going to do it, I'm going to fill it. It's the idea of that, that generosity. How are we going to give? Are we going to give in the mindset of Let's give what's left over after I take care of my needs, after I've done enough, that, that, that I've provided enough, that you're the I. Or am I going to give in the understanding that I know God is enough and he will provide enough? A couple examples from Scripture. In 1 Kings 17, there was a widow and her son and the prophet Elijah. And Elijah came to the, the widow and said, would you, make me, would you make me a loaf of bread? I'm, I'm hungry. Would you please just bake me, bake me some bread? And, and the widow came, to, came to back to him and said, well, I've, I've got a little bit of flour in my basket. And I've got a tiny bit of oil. And see, what we were going to do is I w- we were going to bake the bread and my son and I were going to sit down and eat our very last loaf, and then we're going to die. We're just going to wait to die. And Elijah said, no, let's try this differently. I'm going to ask you to step out in faith and give me the last loaf. And they did. And, and they baked the bread, and they gave it to Elijah, and he ate. And that was it. Like, that was the end. That's all we have. That's all that's in the bag. But Elijah said, no, trust in God. And if you know the end of the story, they never ran out of flour. Next time they needed bread, there was flour in the basket. Next time they needed oil, there was oil in the, uh, the canister. And they continued to have enough all the way through the famine until the end, until God was able to provide another means. There was always enough. Isn't God big enough to provide for us? Another example in the New Testament, Jesus is teaching, and people keep coming from all the regions around Capernaum, and they're coming to him and coming, and there's 5,000 people there, and it's time to eat, and everybody's hungry. And, and Jesus turns to his disciples, and you, and you have thousands, right? Men, women, children, possibly 15 to 20 by the time you're done. And he turns to the disciples and he says, Where can we buy bread to feed? all these people. And the disciple looked at him and said, I think in the back of his head, he's saying, well, there's not enough food in all the towns around to feed all these people, even if we could do it. And, and they said to Jesus, we could spend a year's income and maybe everyone would get a bite, maybe a crumb. And then there was another disciple that came and said, well, I have a, I have a young boy here that's it's got five loaves. He's got two fish. And the disciple said, but where, how far will that get us? 
How far will that go? And again, they're just saying there's not enough. Like, here's all we have, and it's just not possible. Impossible. And Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish. What's the rest of the story? Did they have enough? They had enough. And I love to think about that young child because he didn't come to the disciples and he say, well, first, first let me sit down with my lunch and let me eat. And, and I don't need all five of the loaves, but let me at least feed myself. And so I'll eat a couple loaves. And you can have maybe one of the fish and a couple loaves. And let me eat first. You can have what's left over. He doesn't say that. Just here it is. That's my food. When you were a teenager, did you like to eat? And my teenagers love to eat. There is never <laughs> enough. <laughs> but God continues to provide. Um, but this boy just gave it, gave it to God. Gave it to God. And Jesus multiplies the gift. See, if that, that boy had kept the lunch, that's all he would have had. But he gave it to God and God multiplied it and fed everyone and there were 12 baskets full left. And that illustration of the disciples that with God, there's always enough. God can provide. He can do it. There's way more than enough. I think of the 12 baskets. There wasn't just enough. There was way, way more than enough. Honor the Lord with your wealth. With the best part of everything you have. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. And just as a general truth from Proverbs, it's not a promise. It's not a, let's do this and the result will be your bank account's going to explode. That's not the idea. What's the principle here? The principle is put God first. Put God first. Honor the Lord with your best, with your first. It's a different mindset. It's a mindset, uh, say the barn mindset, and I, I brought a basket and I brought a bag, but I couldn't bring the barn. I'm sorry. Um, there's way more than enough. It's saying I'm going to radically trust God to say, to say I, can, I can trust God enough to put God first. Maybe there's a need, and maybe there's, a, there's something that I haven't been able to take care of, and I'm not sure how God's going to do it, but he's given me an opportunity to be generous. And, and I look at Berean, and I look at the people here, and I say, God has, God has brought together generous people, and he's grown you into generous people. And, and today's just another step in, in that growth. But this is a step that says, I'm going to put God first, because I believe He's enough, and he's way more than enough, and he can provide for my need, and he can provide for my generosity. God is a generous God. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. First, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Now, none of these verses say God will give you everything you want. But do we trust God enough to put God first? 
to give him the best. In the context of where Jesus was teaching that, seek the kingdom of God first. Seek it and put it above everything else. Jesus was talking about worry. He was talking about food and clothing and things people worry about. Just the basic needs of life. And, and in the first century, right, they, they had worries. But we've conquered that today. We don't have anything to worry about, do we? I do. Maybe life is more complicated today. There's more things that can go wrong today. Our houses are bigger. There's more complications to them. Our technology is deeper. Uh, there's more going on in our lives. It takes more to get us to work and back. There's a lot of things that can happen. We can have worries. And just a picture into my life for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, weekend to go. Our dryer dies. So, so we, we are able to find a used dryer. Awesome price. Excellent condition. God's provision. Go to get the used dryer. And I put my brakes down to stop and put the car in, in park and the brake pedal goes to the floor. And I got out and I looked and there's brake fluid all over the ground. And the brakes went out. We eased it home that night and I fixed the brakes the next day. A couple days later, my starter died. Went to the shop a, a day after I got it back. It started died again. The same time my computer for ministry went out. At uh, the same time, our pipes froze, and the pipe, the 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 boiler pump that pumps the water through our house died, and we're keeping that going for now. We just got a new one, and, and it came, but we'd we'd bang on it with a hammer and get it to run again, uh, just to get through the last couple of weeks, and. The problems don't go away. Just because we're generous doesn't mean the problems go away. It doesn't mean life isn't difficult. It doesn't mean life isn't hard. But in the problems, God can show up, can't he? It, it, throughout this time, I've been able to experience other people's generosity, which is God's generosity. People loan me a vehicle, multiples. Uh, someone was able to help us get some more wood for our wood stove. Uh, we were able to have the, the opportunity to, uh, um, to, to take care of the, uh, the boiler, hopefully. We got a good price on the pump. See, God showed up and helped us out with the car. And so we go back and we don't, we don't want to focus on, okay, the problems will drag us down. But look for God to show up. And as we see God show up in the past, we can be faithful knowing that as I give in the future, God was faithful then, and he'll be faithful in the future. The problem is the worries and the fears and the doubts and the inadequacies and the things we think we lack. That keep us from being generous. And as I went through that couple weeks in our household, we were just in the time period of my wife and I praying about and me getting ready to set up our recurring giving for the year. And I was preparing for this message. <laughs> and all these things are going wrong. And we had what we were planning to give. And we believe Paul taught in Corinthians to plan ahead and to give as, you were, as God lays upon your heart. And all these problems are happening and the questions are coming up in my head. And, and, and we believe to give first, to put God first. 
And so he just went ahead and set it up. <laughs> it was going to stretch us anyway. And all the, the problems were like, how are we going to do it? It doesn't, God is enough. God is enough. And God showed up throughout the process. We're called to seek first the kingdom of God. God calls us to that, doesn't he? But you see, God calls us to that while he gives first. And I want to remind us of this. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. After we corrected our lives, or, or, or after, after we put him first in our lives, after we worshipped him, after we exalted him, right? Once he knew he had us on the team, he came and died for us. No, it doesn't say that. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God gave first. The world says, get what you can get, put me first. If you're going to give, give what's left over. But, but God gave first. And when I place God first in my giving, I'm saying that I believe everything I have comes from Him. That, that everything I have, I can use for Him. And we believe that in our household. And we've used, we've used our cars we've shared with people. We've shared our trailers and our tools and our, our property. We've, we've had people into our home to stay for, to live. Uh, we, we've shared our vacations. Everything that we have comes from, comes from God. We can put him first. We can put him first in our income. We can put him first in our praise. And my kids and I, we, we love... Uh, lately, we, we're looking to move here, and we're probably going to rebuild a house to do that. And and almost weekly, we have a new blessing. That whole ho that house needs pipes. Well, someone gave us enough pecs to do the whole house. We come home and we celebrate that. It needs a boiler. Someone gave me a boiler. Who would have Who would have thought? Um, and it just. Weekly, we have these opportunities to see God's generosity and we just praise Him for it. We live in a way that's open-handed to say, I want to give first. I want to put God first. I want Him to be first. And we celebrate when He provides. And we are eternally grateful because while we were still sinners, He died for us. He put us first. How can we do anything less? How can we do anything less? This is the type of giving that I see in the Philippians. And I just want to read this as an example. And Paul, uh, Paul said to the Philippians, in the past you had a heart to give, but you couldn't. You just didn't have an opportunity. But in verse 15, he says, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financially. When I first brought you the good news and and then traveled on from Macedonia, no other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want you to get a gift or I want to get a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, all I need and more, I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent to me with Epaphroditus. They are sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your need with his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Paul says, 
it's not about me. I'm not seeking my own benefit. I'm seeking your growth. It's, it's not about what I can get from this. I want you to have this to go to your eternal account. I want you to receive the reward. And they didn't give to gain. They didn't give to be supplied. In the end, he says, I'm, I know my God will supply your need. Well, well, apparently they gave and they still had need. They didn't say, we're going to take care of the need first and then we'll give. They said, we're going to give. We're going to be generous. We see your need. We're going to, we're going to let God use us. And then God's going to multiply it and God's going to bless you. They stepped out in faith. Great faith breeds extravagant giving. It takes faith to give. It takes faith to put others first. I want to give you an example. Just a, a few years ago in our household, we had been reaching out to a couple, a young, a young mother, not a young mother, a young daughter and a mother, and they were about to lose their home. And they were way behind to the tune of thousands of dollars. And they had others that had turned their back on them and, and were putting them down and saw the, saw the problems in their life, but weren't willing to help with the solutions. And we were there. And we were reaching out to them. And, and we had the opportunity to give. And you know, my, my first reaction was, they've gotten themselves into this problem. Ever thought that? Uh, and my other reaction was, well, I just, I just gave a van to a young mother with young kids. And then I loaned out a vehicle, and it came back with a blown engine. And I've got a mortgage, and I've got bills. And God just kept challenging us and pushing on my heart, pushing on my wife's heart. And we gave, and it, it was hard, and it stretched. And they were able to keep their home. And we went beyond, and God just pushed us to be generous. And there was lean months, but you know what? I never missed a meal. And my mortgage was always paid, and the bills were always paid, and God provided, and he was enough. And looking out of that, God was more than enough. And that young girl got saved, and she began to reach other people, and she began to serve. And we look back on it and say, God was awesome. And if he can take what we have and he can use it and multiply it for his good, so be it and may he be praised. And so God may challenge us and giving is not easy and giving's difficult and it's stretching and it's a sacrifice. But when we give first and not from what's left, but what is best, when we put our faith in a great God, we can see great things happen. Some people crave and are greedy for more. Proverbs. But another loves to give. May I be, may we be the people that give with open hands and see God work. Our worship team is going to come and lead us in a final song of worship this morning. And as they do that, I'm going to pray in a minute. God is faithful. He's a faithful God. But if we're going to be generous, we've got to let go of our fear, let go of our lack, let go of 
the worry and trust in God's greatness. Trust in His goodness. Trust in His being enough and more than enough. We serve a God that will move mountains, that can take down giants, that can shake prison walls. He is, is a God that can do all things. And so I choose to speak to my doubt and to preach to my fear and to put him first and to be generous because he was faithful, is faithful, and will always be faithful. Let's pray. Dear God, I believe you are more, more than enough, so much more than enough. You are so great and you are generous that you gave us salvation. Lord, thank you for our salvation. Lord, help me to put you first. Help me to live in your generosity that we can put others first. Help us to live in the faith of of you as the the mountain mover, the giant toppler, and the, the prison shaker. Lord, as we sing, may it be a commitment to stand on your faithfulness and to give in your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.